Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I'm coming to you from Breckenridge, Colorado. I'm up here with a group of guys that I talk about often. It's an organization called GoBundance. And, you know, if you're an accredited investor and you're a guy, unfortunately, GoBundance is uh, for men only, but actually not unfortunately, because that's, you know, what makes it powerful. But anyway, if you're a man and you're an accredited investor um, and you're interested in just hanging out with an amazing group of guys and just expanding your network and you know, tapping into some amazing relationships. I'd highly uh, recommend that you check it out, gobundance.com. But anyway, yeah, so I'm up here at Breckenridge and I wanted to, you know, talk to you today. It's going to be a little bit different. I, I debated whether to do this on the Monday episode or the Thursday episode because, you know, it's just going to be me. I don't have a guest today. But the reality is it's probably going to be a little bit longer than, you know, what we're used to on Mondays and, and I didn't really want to disrupt the flow. So, well, here it goes. You know, I've been talking about this, you know, quite a bit lately. I, I really believe, and a lot of smart people that I know, like, and trust um, kind of are thinking the same thing. 2008 was a real estate crisis. It, you know, it, was, it, it, it stemmed in real estate. It stemmed in banking. It was a financial crisis. And, and the opportunity, you know, after 2008 was really in real estate. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't, you know, opportunity in business and other sectors, but 2008 was a real estate crisis and it gave real estate investors a lot of opportunity and, and possibly the greatest window for real estate investing that we'll ever see. And I've had a lot of conversations this week, you know, just about the state of real estate and, and where we're at. Uh, a lot of the guys in GoBundance are in real estate, you know, one way or another. You know, some of the guys are in tech, but it's associated with real estate. And by the way, they own a bunch of rentals. You know, some of the guys have uh, staffing companies and big uh, benefits prov- providing companies. But by the way, they're they're in real estate. They own a ton of real estate investments. You know, and there's that old saying that uh, the majority of people who are wealthy, they 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 made a lot of their money in real estate. And I've I've also heard it said that a lot of people that are wealthy most likely made their money in some sort of business and then they held it in real estate too. And, um, you know, I, I think that rings true, but there's been a lot of people since 2008 that have made a lot of money in the business of real estate. And not to go down too far down this rabbit hole, but, you know, I was in a, in a mastermind with the real estate guys, Robert Helms and, and Russ Gray, and we would meet once a quarter. And I had this epiphany when one of the meetings, I, th- I think we were in Miami and we're sitting around a table. I don't know, there's probably 15 or 20 of us. And I had this epiphany as I was looking down and, you know, all, a lot of these guys that were in this mastermind, they had started out as passive investors, but then, you know, as we progress, we naturally move into a larger investment business. And so there's really, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of real estate investing, but, um, you you switch typically from a passive real estate investor where you know maybe you own some rentals and and you outsource the property management etc um a lot of times the next next natural progression is moving into a real estate business of some sort which is obviously what we did you know i i had uh, 45 single families we had three commercial buildings we had five mobile home parks that you know we were operating and owned so 
when we made the transition though, and we started, I teamed up with Andrew Lenoy and we started Park Place Communities, I, that shifted from Kara and I having a passive real estate portfolio to us operating a business. I mean, we built out a construction company, we built out a property management company, you know, started an investment firm, Four Peaks, and you know, hired a bunch of employees and, and we were operating a business. It was no longer a passive real estate play. It was operating a business. And that's going to lead me into kind of the segue of, of what I really want to talk to you about today. If 2008 was a real estate crisis that gave us a lot of opportunity in real estate, and then, you know, like I said, there's a lot of us that actually own and operate real estate businesses around that real estate. So if 2008 was a real estate crisis, I really believe, and again, a lot of the smart people that I get to listen to and get to be mentored by, I'm so fortunate, um, believe this as well. I believe that the 2020 pandemic and the financial crisis that we are going to experience, I don't think that, I think we're still on, you know, we haven't reached the hangover phase yet, if you will. We're, we're, it's still late at night and, and we're still drinking, if you will. Uh, maybe that's a horrible metaphor, but the reality is I don't even, and I'm not, I'm not here to be a doomsday. I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity, but if you just look at the writing on the wall, I shared a story the other day on my Instagram page at the Mike Ayala. I think it was in Forbes, you know, I think it was 32% of um, people in July of mortgages missed some form of their payment. 32%. I, I don't, you know, even the unemployment rate. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are going back to work, but there is a lot of people that are still unemployed. And I don't think that we're really hearing about this. And again, I'm not here to be a doomsdayer. Uh, stick with me. I'm going to tell you where I think the opportunities are. And I'm going to tell you also what we're doing and, and how you could help me and possibly even make some capital. I, I, when you look at unemployment, and again, I don't really see a lot of people talking about this because we're talking about you know elections and we're talking about the coronavirus and we're talking about just, I, I think we're distracted right now. And I don't, whether that's designed, whether that's intentional, I don't know. But if you look backwards, um, you know, I've watched this my entire adult life, and you'll probably agree with this. Anytime there's something major going on, it seems like, you know, we're distracted by something else, something completely different. You know, the things that we were thinking about and hearing on the news and everything six months ago, I mean, a lot of this stuff just disappeared. And so even right now, you know, we're, we're, we're all talking about coronavirus and, you know, how we're shut down and this and that. But here's the reality, even uh, I live in Arizona. And so, you know, we, we opened back up, you know, some people would say a little bit early because, you know, then our cases spiked and everything else. Listen, I'm not saying coronavirus isn't a real thing, but the reality is, you know, we're doing a lot of damage to lives. I, I heard the other day that the, the phone calls at the suicide hotlines have gone up 600%. 32% of people in July in some way, shape or form missed a portion of their mortgage payment. We have a real estate crisis coming that nobody's really wanting to discuss or talk about. I talk to so many people every day and I appreciate you guys reaching out to me that are, you know, asking about real estate. How do I get into real estate investing? Um, you know, is it a good time to buy real estate? So first and foremost, I'm going to launch a, a real estate and mindset 101 course here in the next month or so. And the first one, the first time we do this, it'll, it'll be probably a group of 10, 10 people. And um, I'll announce the details shortly, but I'm not in any way saying that I don't think you can find deals right now. But, you know, I had one of my mentors that used to say, in order to get a deal done, you had to look at 100, 
real estate deals in order to really analyze 10, in order to put three under contract, in order to really negotiate and close on one. And I would argue right now, um, you know, those ratios are probably much, much higher. I'm not, again, I'm not saying you can't find real estate deals right now, but I don't really believe that right now is the time for, um, you know, anybody to really be jumping into real estate investing. Now there is some exceptions. You know, I, I know an individual who's a real estate agent, you know, they, they've got a couple deals under their belt and they get first look at a lot of properties, right? Sometimes even off market properties. So I'm, I'm not saying that you can't find deals. Um, and I did say, I don't think it's a time for anyone to be jumping in, but I, let me retract that. It's probably not that it's not a good time for anyone to be jumping in, but you're going to have a pretty hard time right now finding real estate deals. And I'm surprised, you know, every day I'm talking to real estate investors who are still super bullish closing deals, et cetera. And I think we're, uh, if we're not at the top of the market, we're really, really close. I mean, we're in that, we're in that scary red line zone, you know, just opening up the door a little bit on our personal lives. I mean, I've never really thought about my house as an asset, but I don't really pay attention either to it as a liability. It, it, it just is. I've always been more concerned, Karen and I have always been more concerned with, you know, the environment that we live in and having a safe place for our children and a, and a happy place, you know, a place where they're comfortable, a place where they can bring their friends and, you know, be, be loud and, and hang out. And I mean, we've literally designed our last house around that. We put the basement in so that the kids could just go down there and, you know, be as loud as they wanted. I've never thought of my house as an asset, but again, I've never really thought of it as a liability either, but, um, I have, you know, Karen and I recently have just been looking at the amount of crazy equity that we have in our house because of appreciation. Um, I'm, we're considering selling. We're considering being renters. There, and there's several reasons for that, um, which this is the real meat of what I'm going to get into today. It's, it's a really good time to be, you know, holding, holding cash right now. And it's interesting because we have a panel coming up here at Breckenridge, cash is trash or cash is king. And, you know, a bunch of guys from GoBundance are going to be debating whether cash is trash or cash is king. And um, there's one of the founders of GoBundance, his name's Pat Hybe, and he asked me the other day, he said, Mike, what do you think? Is cash trash or is cash king? And I, I said, you know, I'm not trying to shirk the conversation or, or dodge it. But, but the reality is I believe that cash is trash. When, when we're printing money the way we are right now, and I'm having a lot of amazing conversations that are expanding my brain, you know, automatically everybody says, well, you know, we're going to have major inflation and I'm not going to get into a super deep inflation deflation conversation. But one of the guys that I look up to um, the most, I think he's really brilliant. I've, I've never met him, but I, I learned a ton from him. His name's Jim Rickards. And he's talking about how we can't, he doesn't believe that we can have major inflation right now because there's no velocity of money. And believe it or not, people are not spending money like they were. So, you know, when the government steps in and they give us stimulus checks and, you know, they give businesses PPP and, you know, everybody's thinking, oh, well, you know, the government stepped in and they're giving us all this money and everybody's just spending it. Well, the reality is it's not, we're not spending to the level that we were before. And I'm a pretty simple guy. And so just think about it this way, whether in your, you know, backyard, your city, your community, your state, whether, you know, whatever phase of reopening or closing or whatever because of COVID you're in. I, 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 I sidetracked a little bit here, but what I was saying, you know, Arizona, we, we opened up a little early, some would say. So, you know, we started going back out and we're going to the restaurants. And even during that time, the, the restaurants were not, you know, there was, 
the regulations where they couldn't be more than 50% occupied, but most of the restaurants that you went into were 10% occupied, 25% occupied. And half of them weren't even open. There, there's a staggering statistic about the amount of businesses that have closed their doors. I think it's something in the range of like 19 million restaurants, something like that, have closed their doors forever. They're not coming back. That's a lot of jobs. I mean, if you just take 19 million or whatever the number, it doesn't even really matter what the number is. I'm just trying to get you thinking about what's coming and what's happening. If you take the amount of businesses that have personally or completely permanently not personally, permanently shut down. And you think about those jobs, those jobs aren't coming back. And tip, typically when something you know tragic happens, I mean, people rally and we figure it out, we're humans, and I believe we're gonna do that here too. But the reality is it's not going back to normal. And we're not spending, here was my point, we're not spending the money at the velocity we were before. There's certain sectors, I get it, that are doing very well. Um, and there's certain demographics and groups of people that are, you know, doing okay and, and doing well. But our head's in the sand. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that's not being talked about. We're not going back anytime soon to the level of spending that it was before. So Jim Rickard's point is, in order to have true inflation, yes, you have to inflate the money supply, as Peter Schiff would say, but also that money has to be being spent. And, and so when you look at the PPP and you look at the stimulus that everybody's getting, that's not additional money that's getting put into the system. And I think this is what a lot of us don't get and understand. That's not additional capital. That's, it's, not like, it's not like the economy is at a all-time high and everything's well, and then all of a sudden the government said, okay, I'm going to create an additional you know, trillions of dollars on top of that for you guys to have and spend. So it's not like we're spending all this money and then additional money got pumped in. What happened is people weren't making money. Businesses were shut down, so we weren't creating revenue. Um, people did, got laid off, and, and, and so they're not getting paid, and so then they're getting unemployment, which, yeah, they're, you know, a lot of people are making a little bit more on unemployment than they were before, potentially, and so maybe you could poke a hole in that argument. But the reality is we're not, it isn't like the economy is doing great and then we're pumping a bunch of money in on top of that that people are spending. We're just making up the difference of what wasn't being made. We're making up the gap. The Fed and the Treasury and the government is, is um, make, we're just making up the gap for, for what was being spent before. And, and here's the problem. Even though we're trying to create that money and, and make up the gap, people are not spending at the level they were before. Just look at your own life. And, and I would venture to say that the majority of us are spending less today than we were before. And I would venture to say that you know, the majority of people are having some sort of financial concern and constraint and saving money. And there's a statistic that shows um, the American savings right now is at a level that it hasn't been for a long time. And it's not like we have a, all of a sudden a big, huge number of, you know, money or dollar amount in our bank accounts and savings, most of us. But, but the average American has a negative net worth, right? They don't, they, their, their bank accounts are actually paycheck to paycheck and week to week, and they're negative in some way, shape, or form. And so that being said, this, the savings rate um, being higher than it's ever been, that means that Americans are not spending as much money. Just look around you. You don't need to be you know, a statistician with Goldman Sachs to figure out that our economy is not, the amount, the, the amount of money that was going into the economy before is not there. I heard that, um, I think it's October 1, 
when you know some of the PPP money and the stimulus money and some of the big stuff ends and and they may extend it. Who knows? I heard that the um, some of the, you know the airline industry is like planning on laying off another seventy five thousand people. I literally, I like I said, I'm I'm up here in Breckenridge, and flying out of Phoenix, man, the airports are dead, and you know the planes. Yeah, you know, every other seat has to be unoccupied, but honestly, like half the seats that could be occupied are not occupied. We're not spending money. There is entire industries that are just collapsed. And so let me pull this together. Um, you know, where's the opportunities? First off, let me just point to Ken McElroy. He's got a YouTube channel and he, he put up a, a video a few weeks ago, which we'll put in the show notes. And, and he believes that the crash is going to happen in 2021. And by the way, I... Um, real estate crash specifically. Um, and I, I buy into that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, really talking about this because you could just go listen to his YouTube. He said it way better than, than I think I could. But I, but I agree with him. And so here, here's, the, here's the challenge that we'll talk about with real estate real quick. Um, the reason why real estate prices haven't dropped and asset prices are, are not dropping, really. I mean, they're, they're increasing. Interest rates are at an all-time low. Um, people are refinancing left and right. People who were living in apartments, um, people who were renting and considering buying are seeing this as an opportunity to get into homes. There's maybe a little bit of extra cash because again, they're not spending as much and maybe they got some money from the government. And so now's the best time, you know, probably for them to have a down payment. Um, but interest rates are at an all-time low. Supply is at an all-time low because we had... Um, disruption because of the pandemic, um, you know, developments weren't moving forward for a couple months. We literally lost a couple months of production. And I know a lot of areas, the construction guys kept working, but still it was slowed down. Deals were put on hold, you know, developers are moving forward. A lot of them with, with their land developments and everything else. But there was a period of time where supply was constrained and that's not just in real estate. I mean, that, that could be said for, for a lot of industries, but supply is at an all time low. And then you see too, that you know, certain markets are doing better than others. Phoenix, for instance, you know, like I said, my wife and I are talking about selling our home. We got a crazy amount of appreciation and equity in it. Um, Phoenix, this has been, I think, the highest appreciation year ever. Well, maybe not ever, but Phoenix is definitely number one in the U.S. And, it, and, and we appreciated 9% year over year. I think it was from May to May, May of 2019 to May of 2020. We appreciated 9%. So, you know, if you've got a million dollar home, which I'm just using that for ease of math, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm not that brilliant and I have a calculator in front of me. So if you have a million dollar house, that means your house appreciated by 90 grand in, in one year. That's just insanity. So interest rates are at an all-time low. Supplies at an all-time low. You know, we're still on this economic stimulus high, which I don't know that we even call it stimulus at this point because it's not really stimulating anything. It's just making up a gap. Um, our heads are in the sand, guys. Um, there's, there's some challenges coming and a lot of people are not going to go back to work. Um, there's going to be major, major unemployment. The political scene, which I'm not going to get too into that right now, but you know, we're facing some serious, um, and I, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore Republican and I'm definitely not a Democrat. Um, I would say that I'm more conservative and I'm probably more, you know, libertarian in my, a lot of my thoughts and beliefs. Um, so I'm not saying, you know, that Donald Trump is our savior or anything else as investors or business owners or, or anything like that. But what I am saying is, you know, the writing on the wall that I see, the way that I see Joe Biden talking, 
eliminating you know a lot of the tax benefits and 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 the incentives for real estate investors to be real estate investors that's going to create some challenges because there's such a sentiment out there right now um you know with people that are you know basically think that capitalism is evil and you know people that are making good money are evil and landlords are evil and you know they we don't have to pay our rent well here's the reality like that just is not that that can't work if you increase my taxes let's just say i have one single family property that you know i i rent to you for a thousand dollars and you increase my taxes by 20 percent or 30 percent guess what your rent is going to go up i cannot no, I, I cannot not pass the savings on to my customer. And that goes for any business. That business is either going to go out of business or that real estate investor is going to get foreclosed on because if the taxes and the expenses run too high and he can't make up the difference, he can't make his loan payment. And maybe that's what some of you people out there want. I don't think really, generally, I don't think my listeners want that or, or fall into this category. But whether it's business, whether it's groceries, whether it's uh, residential you know, rentals, apartments, mobile home parks like we invest in, it doesn't matter what it is, we are going to pass the savings on to the customer. And I saw this meme the other day that said, oh, yeah, they were supposed to tax the landlord. Why did my rent go up? Well, there you go. It's simple economics. So, you know, we're, we're in for some real estate challenges. That's the, that's the bottom line. And not just real estate challenges. I mean, jobs are not coming back. Um, businesses are failing. And let me get into the core discussion. So what do you do? Is there going to be an opportunity in real estate? Yes. But I think what's going to happen, you know, most of the time people miss out on the golden opportunities and they get in too late. And here's why. We start seeing a correction. Foreclosures start going up. Um, again, in July, um, you know, 32% of people in some way, shape or form missed a percentage of their mortgage payment. There's people in the banking industry that are saying that they've got 30% of their loans right now that are in some sort of trouble. Doesn't shock me at all. So what begins, what happens is, you know, the, it takes a while for that stuff to work through the system, sometimes a year. Um, and so you start seeing foreclosures and, and, you know, people start just letting their houses go. And the first thing that happens, um, they have to get foreclosed on and then they move into rentals. So is there an argument that rentals are going to do well? Yeah, I think apartments are going to do well. I think, um, you know, manufactured housing that we're in, it's going to do extremely well. It's affordable housing people are going to lose their homes and they're going to move out and then they're going to move into rentals for a while. So rentals, um, you know, rental prices are at an all time high right now and the demand is going to go up for rentals. As that demand goes up, the price goes up for a while. Well, then what happens is the foreclosures work through the system and, you know, real estate opportunities and deals. And by the way, even before foreclosure, you might start finding some opportunities in people that want to get out of the deal without it going to foreclosure. So will you see some opportunities even now in that space? Yeah, I, I think you can start. There's probably going to be some distress starting here shortly. But I don't think it's going to be anything like 2008. What really made 2008, after 2008, what made it great for real estate investors was, uh, you know, it was this experiment in quantitative easing and, and easy financing, which we can still get right now. And so that, that, that's, really, that's really what's propping all this up. I mean, financing is still available. Interest rates are low, supply is low, so it's keeping real estate prices high. But what's going to happen, at some point in time, they have to raise interest rates. And I don't, I mean, that could be years from now. Who knows? I'm not going to get into that conversation. But supply is going to catch up. People are going to start getting foreclosed on, which is going to create more supply. Demand's going to go down. That's going to be what causes real estate prices to crash. Now, the challenge is, and I just want to get you thinking about this a little bit, financing is not going to be 
um, that accessible when real estate prices start to decline, unless you've got cash. So back to Pat's question, is cash trash or is cash king? Well, I think long-term cash is trash, but I think right now cash is king. And so that's the reason why I'm even considering selling my house. I'm restructuring everything that I possibly can right now that isn't performing or producing. And if you've got investment properties, you need to be doing the same thing. If you've got businesses, you need to be doing the same thing. But by the way, even if you don't have real estate investments and even if you don't own a business, you need to be doing the same thing in your personal life. Cut out everything that isn't producing for you right now because right now cash is king in the short term. You are going to find opportunities. But if you don't have liquidity and you don't have financing, and I know I'm a big proponent of seller financing, et cetera, and you probably will get some of that, but there's so many more people today that are interested. I mean, 10 times, 100 times probably, more people that are interested in real estate investing today than there was in 2008, than there was in 2000 or 2001. So there's there's a lot more people you know, chasing that seller financing, trying to find scrappy deals, trying to do low money down, trying to borrow private money. The competition is fierce. So if you can figure out how to you know, shore up your life and get some liquidity, cash is king right now. But I say that in the short term. I think cash is king for the next, like let's say, one to three years, probably realistically the next 18 months. Cash is king. So what do you do with it in the meantime? You know, we're so used to, I, I'm a big proponent. You know, if you would have asked me 12 months ago, like, you know, if you would have said to me, I've got 300 grand in the bank, I got 500 grand. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why isn't that money producing for you? But today, right now, there's only a couple areas that I would say, um, you know, you should really be putting your capital on. I'm not here to give investment advice or, or anything like that. But Whatever you put your money into right now, you need to make sure that number one, it's safe through a pandemic. You know, just think about that. People are not going back to work. Um, people are going to need housing and affordable housing. So, where, if you decide to invest that money in something long term, just make sure that it's pandemic proof uh, and and recession resistant. But that being said, I think the best place to if you if you if you're not comfortable having cash in the bank. Figure out where to put it that's somewhat li liquid. Um, and I'm not saying that this is what you should do. I'm just giving you options. I talked to a very smart guy the other day that's sitting on some cash and he's putting it in 28-day treasuries. You know, it's not that great of returns, but, you know, in the short term, it's probably one of the safest places that it could be. And yeah, I know, you know, the U.S. and the way we're printing money and blah, blah, blah. Long term, I don't think that's a safe place, but in the short term, maybe it is. How about gold and silver? Yeah, it's a little risky and I wouldn't put a bunch of, you know, all your cash in there, but... Rickard says right now, of your liquid net worth, you should be 30% in cash, 10% in precious metals, and the other 10% of your liquid net worth should be in passive investments. So whether that's investing with someone like us in real estate, um, and, and by the way, I'm not trying to pitch our investments, but the reality is right now, if you're a new real estate investor and you've never invested, I'm not sure how aggressive I would get right now. Um, I would be pouring everything I have into learning and studying and yes, looking for deals because that's going to teach you a ton. And guess what? You might just find one. But now's not the time, in my opinion, to be learning too aggressively. With, with your money, I mean, like going out there and actually buying a rental and, and learning the actual ropes. Again, unless you've got just a home run. And if you think you have a home run, reach out to me. We'll, we'll, we'll put you in the Facebook community and we'll go live and, and I'll spend 15 minutes analyzing your deal. I want to help during this time. And that's really why I'm sharing what I'm sharing today. So cash is king right now. You could put it into some gold and silver, you know, but that's volatile. I do believe it's going to go up. May, might there be a dip? Yeah. 
but with everything going on, I think um, you know gold and silver are going to perform well. It's a safe place that I think a lot of investors are going to run into. So um, let me pull this together for you. Here's the the meat of this, and and sorry about the doom and gloom on the real estate and the market in general and all that, but I want to make sure our head is not in the sand. That's what's going on. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a series coming up in the Monday, the the, the Monday short episodes with just me, but. I, I've I've dropped this a, a little bit, but you know we're moving to buying businesses. And when I say moving, um, I'm not I'm not stopping investing in manufactured housing um, at Park Place Communities and Four Peaks Capital Partners. We're as excited as we've ever been about manufactured housing. But I have the same problem that I'm telling you. You're going to experience. It's really hard to find deals right now because there's really dumb money going after deals. And so what we're doing right now at Park Place and, and Four Peaks, we're doing the same thing that I'm telling you to do, fortify, like get rid of anything that isn't performing in your life. We're, when, when COVID hit, we broke all of our portfolio into A's, B's, and C's, and the A's are doing well, the B's are you know, probably going to perform great. The C's are like, okay, well, we have challenges here for X, Y, Z, or it's just you know, like we have one community that it's just so big, it's going to take forever to fill up. So we're looking at all that and we're just looking at fortifying and, you know, basically anything that isn't performing or producing in our life, we need to get rid of. So I'm doing the same thing that you're doing. Um, we've streamlined our team. Andrew, my partner at Four Peaks, um, you know, he's really stepped up and shined during this time. We're, like I said, we're, we're, we're reanalyzing everything. We hired a, a CFO firm to just come in and help us um, really just look at everything and, and help us build our forward looking plan. So yes, I'm still excited about manufactured housing. We're still investing in manufactured housing. It's just like I said, there's just stupid money coming after it. It's really hard to find good deals. I think that this it, this period of time is going to present the opportunity for us in buying businesses. And this is not the first time I've said this. But up here at Breckenridge, there's a really smart person. Her name's Cody Sanchez. You should look her up. You should um, get on her list because she's got a newsletter that's amazing. But she shared some things that I want to share with you guys. So there's about 3 million businesses right now in the range of $1 to $5 million in revenue for sale. And 9 out of 10 businesses that are actually, that exist will, will never actually sell or, or that are listed. They'll, they'll never sell. The owners get frustrated. You know, they go through multiple deals, you know, people giving them offers, but then they just never close because their books aren't in order or because, um, you know, we're too far apart on the the valuation, et cetera. So um, nine out of 10 businesses will never sell. 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but that fact alone, forget about buying businesses, but that fact alone is really scary for the coming financial crisis because the pensions aren't there. The stock market's at an all-time high. I get that our 401ks theoretically look great. I know a lot of people are you know, struggling there too, but I think there's a stock market crash that's going to wipe people out. It's coming. And so with 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, a lot of those are business owners and they're wanting to sell. 19% of the 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day own a small business. Um, so that'll kind of tell you, you know, what's coming there. Only one in 11 will sell. Oh, so I was wrong on the, you know, the one out of 10. It's only one in 11 will sell within 12 months of being listed. And then I think it's only one out of nine that ever sells at all or one out of 10. That leaves 91% of businesses for sale on the market with motivated sellers for more than one year. Those are just staggering statistics that really should get you thinking about, um, you know, buying a business. It's a perfect time. 
Uh, there's a bankruptcy chart that you can find on uh, Bloomberg Finance. Um, just just Google um, bankruptcies, but you you can see there's this hockey stick of bankruptcies that are that are coming because there there's a trend line that follows unemployment rate. And when the unemployment rate spikes, there's a trend line that follows a bankruptcies, and and you know you know what's going on with unemployment right now. So, bankruptcies are going to be at an all time high. The nice thing about businesses is there, there's the ability to leverage debt, like through the SBA. Um, again, just like real, it really parallels real estate a lot. So if you've been studying real estate, you know how do I get in with seller financing? You can do that in a business. How do I get um, into a business with hard money lending? You can do that in a business. You can leverage the business and get an SBA loan or get a bank loan, just like you can in real estate. So the th- same things that you've been thinking about in real estate and how to get into real estate and, 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 and how to leverage real estate, you can do with a business. Um, typically, businesses are backed by hard assets. Um, you know, there's receivables, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and the one thing that Cody Sanchez said, too, that's kind of interesting, and this won't apply to all of you, but, um, you know, you can buy businesses that are what she calls add-ons, right? And so if you're, you know, if you own like a a property management company and then you buy out a, a you know a carpet cleaning company like okay now you just became your own best client right so think about that a little bit and again i'm not going to spend too much time on this now today i just wanted to get you thinking about you know where we're at what i think's coming with real estate and then just start having this conversation again about business and again i'm going to continue on the mondays i'm going to do a small series on on buying businesses itself but here's what i'm doing i'm putting my money where my mouth is and i've had this idea since 2011 some of you know I had a construction business, but it was a, a big portion of, so I was a plumber by trade. We had a plumbing and HVAC company. There's there's one part of that business that I really love, and it's the residential service side of it. And we had actually bought out a couple companies along the way, but then I sold in 2014, as most of you know. And for the last few years, we've been penciling out, you know, launching a fund to go out and buy HVAC companies. And I'm not going to get too far into this right now. I'll tell you the, the strategy later. But we're going to roll up HVAC companies. I've got 60 different markets that, you know, we want to, we basically want 60 different companies that we're going to roll up and create efficiencies and just kind of disrupt that HVAC industry. Those are cash flowing businesses. Again, the baby boomer statistics, the people retiring, a lot of these guys that own these companies have been in it for 30, 40 years. They're, they're tired, they're wore out. They just went through their third financial crisis. They had to lay off a bunch of their employees um, on and on and on. It is the perfect time to buy businesses. And what we're shifting to is the HVAC business. And the reason why I'm sharing that, I want to get you thinking about this. For all the reasons, um, the deals are going to be in businesses. This is a business crisis. This is not, I'm I'm not saying there isn't going to be a real estate crisis, but the opportunity isn't going to be as large in real estate and there's a lot more people in it. So, you know, when you're going with the crowd, I mean, the crowd is going to try to rush into real estate. It's still rushing into real estate and it's buying at the top. I mean, I... Again, I have so much appreciation in my house. I'm like sitting here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell probably. I think about us offloading some of our communities. Like now's the perfect time to sell. It's not a perfect time to buy. And so the crowd's still rushing into real estate. And when the crash happens, um, you know, people are going to try to rush in even more, which is going to probably keep, I don't think the deals are going to be as great. Let's just leave it at that. I think there's going to be amazing opportunity and amazing deals in business. And so I really want to get you thinking about this it doesn't have to be HVAC. Um, the thing that I really want to make sure that you think about is that you know we we buy cash flowing businesses. So, and and also businesses that people um, are going to need. 
So we've seen through COVID, um, COVID really showed us what are recession resistant, right? So just be thinking about that. What businesses are recession resistant? What businesses spin off cash flow? What businesses um, potentially are not going to, you know, get me working 90 hours a week? What businesses can I go into that I can leverage other other people, whether it's through employees or whether it's through 1099 contractors? Um, what, what do those businesses look like? And there's businesses, obviously, you probably want to stay away from right now. Like, I mean, just look around you. What businesses are struggling? Sorry, all you gym owners and all that stuff out there, but I probably wouldn't get into a gym right now. I probably wouldn't get into restaurants right now. I probably wouldn't get into retail right now. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but just the writing's on the wall. Just, just, just look around you and you're going to see what businesses, just look at the help wanted ads. <laughs> Go to monster.com and, 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 you know, just look at your local help wanted ads and, and your job boards. And, and that's going to tell you what businesses are thriving. We can't find enough technicians. That business is going to thrive. You get into like roofing, home services, anything to do with the service industry that, that people are going to need service on, you should think about that. And if you got a background in it, even better. Or you got a partner you can partner up with that has a background in it, even better. Or you know somebody that you know, like, and trust that's struggling in business and you've got some capital and you can partner up with them and let them continue to be the operator, but you're now an investor. So many things to think about. But I'm going to leave you with this. It's definitely a crisis for businesses. If you can solve one of the challenges that we have right now is, is unemployment. And so if you can figure out how to put people back to work, you're, you're probably going to do pretty well. You're going to do good and you're going to do well, as my good friend Gene Garino says. So just, you know, I, I want to get you thinking about that. We'll get a little, little bit more tactical again on the Monday episodes over the next few weeks. I want to drop this down as I, as I close here. We are looking for HVAC and plumbing service companies that are 80% roughly, that doesn't have to be exact, but 80% in the residential space on the service side, 20% in, you know, commercial, light commercial service. I am not looking for big construction companies, um, uh, you know, doing plumbing and HVAC and like big new construction. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in service. Um, our, our target acquisition is, you know, basically a company doing $3 million in revenue. Um, they probably have somewhere between 18 and 40 employees, depending on how efficient they're running. Um, so that's kind of our target avatar. And, you know, we're looking in uh, larger communities, you know, I'd like it to have, a, you know, probably at least 100,000 people, but that's not a hard and fast number either. So the reason why I'm telling you this now, this isn't going to work in some states, and you know, there's a there's a precursor here. We got to check local laws and all that good stuff. But I am paying a finder's fee if you bring me an off market listing. We will pay you a fifteen thousand dollar finder's fee if we close on that, and it's not listed with a broker. If you know somebody that's in the HVAC industry and you're thinking they might want to sell, kick them over to me. And again, if we end up closing, I'll pay you a fifteen thousand dollar finder's fee. Now, again. There's some areas that are, is not going to allow that. And so there's, you know, a legal preface here. If it's illegal in your state or whatever, then, then we can't do it. If you know somebody that's interested, though, just reach out to me, DM me on Instagram, or send me an email at mike at michaelayala.com. Um, and if you know somebody, send them to sellyourhvac.com. And there's a, you know, little landing page there that tells what we're doing. And they can fill out a form and we'll get in touch with them. So... 
Um, I, I really just, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about this and get your guys' um, you know, minds open to the fact that uh, the coming opportunity, I believe, is in business and putting people back to work and focusing on high-demand service businesses. So, And the one thing I want to just kind of you know, put the icing on the cupcake here, I am still optimistic on real estate. Um, we're excited about real estate, but we're experienced operators too. If you're a new person in real estate, you know, make sure you're getting a mentor. Make sure you're getting into a course. Um, it's never been more important to have somebody that knows what they're doing, putting their eyes on your deal. And again, I'm going to be launching a real estate 101 course here. So if you're interested in that, just also um, send me an email at mike at michaelayala.com and just say, hey, I'm interested in your real estate course. And we'll put you on the list. So go out there, have a good day. This is not all doom and gloom. You know, we're in for some tough times, but um, tough times create opportunities too. So uh, go out there and prosper. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.